Shalom mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. means family. <laughs> We're the mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people with the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man, getting ready, mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar. Oh, the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. And now, I had a dream a number of months ago, but it was so profound that I still think about it. And Jesus told me three times, I'm coming back soon. I'm coming back soon. I'm coming back soon. And then I looked up the word soon in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and I was amazed at what it said. The definition of soon is in a short time after something happens. Now, my guest is John Shorey. What do you think about that definition of soon, John Shorey? Uh, well, I think things are happening. So, therefore, uh, the Lord's coming back is sooner than later. Well, I, I, want, I want people to get to know you a little bit. At age 22, you became a believer. And uh, shortly thereafter, you took... After becoming a believer, mind you, you took a literal leap of faith. <laughs> Tell me about that. Uh, well, I, I, as a young believer, I was actually, uh, before I was saved, I was working in remote area of Alaska in the logging camps. And, uh, and I became a Christian in the logging camps. And I started, uh, uh, you know, ordering cassette tapes because I didn't have a way to get to church. It was 40 miles from town by boat. And, uh, and I was reading the Bible and I just felt my faith was growing. And, uh, I ended up having a slight accident. I jumped off a log in about eight, six, eight feet down into a hole and I didn't see what was there. And I twisted my ankle really bad. And, uh, uh, it was just not getting any better. It went on a couple of weeks, and I told my Christian friend that was instrumental in leading me to the Lord, I said, you know, I, I know that God heals, so I'm going to believe that God's going to heal my ankle. And and he put kind of put through some water on my faith and saying it's not always God's will to heal. So I was really just kind of my faith was almost wounded. It was like, how do I believe God to heal me if it's not always his will? How do you know when it's the will of God? So I was struggling with that for a couple of weeks, and, and my twisted ankle went on for four weeks. I was limping around, all over my job, and finally I told my boss, I says, in two days, would you call an airplane to have him bring me to town so I can see a doctor because my, my ankle is just not getting better? So the next day, on a Thursday, I was going to fly into town on a Friday. So on Thursday, I told the, you know, the Woods boss that tomorrow I'm going to go to town and have a doctor look at this ankle. And when I told him that, he said, the way you've twisted those and probably torn those ligaments, uh, you're going to be stuck with the bad ankle for the rest of your life. And when he said that, uh, you know, it was really kind of stupid in a way uh, for, to say this, but I said, well, you know, God could heal my ankle. And when I said that, he just kind of laughed. And he said, no, God can't heal your ankle. You're stuck with it. And when he said God couldn't heal it, I turned around and I said to myself, I, in fact, I actually said this to God. I said, God, he just said, you can't heal my ankle. 
And because he said that you can't, I believe now it is your will to heal my ankle. And and I had to go about 15 feet over to where the logs were at to help, you know, do my job. And I just said, Lord, I'm going to jump out about six feet and I'm going to land on my bad ankle on that log. And I literally... Wait, wait, wait a second, John. Do you realize what would happen if you weren't healed? You might lose your foot. I, I, I just... I, I, how could you do that? You know, like I say, I was studying the Word. I was reading about faith. And, and I was just looking for a, a way to know that it had to be God's will. So I was convinced. I was convinced it had to be God's will. I was willing to, to take a leap of faith. So you took a literal leap of faith. Was anyone there when you did it? The boss that I just walked away from. The one that said that nothing could ever heal that that, that ankle? <laughs> no doctor? <laughs> this, this literally happened right in front of him. So all right, you take the leap of faith, then what? And, and I put my bad foot out to catch my fall, and God literally healed that foot before I touched the ground. Did you know that God was doing something in that split second, or did you only know when you touched uh, the, the ground? <laughs> when I touched the ground, I knew I was healed because the limping was gone. So what'd your boss say? He was dumbfounded. I'm dumbfounded that you had such chutzpah, such nerve, such courage to do that. But uh, speaking of courage... Why did you read the book of Revelation in particular uh, and just the Bible for a whole year? Uh, didn't watch TV, just the didn't read anything, just the Bible. Why did you do that? Well, you know, uh, you know, years after I became, actually a number of years after becoming a Christian, I went off to Bible college and and uh, met my wife, and we went into children's ministry, and you know we were children's evangelists, and we were children's pastors, and and you know about seven or eight years ago, I was a part-time children's pastor in this church in Puyallup, Washington, and we had a visiting evangelist, and I was able to get in on the last few minutes of his uh, preaching on a Sunday night, and he called people up for prayer. And uh, and he called people to come up and help pray, and I went out as one of the helpers. He didn't even know that I was on part-time staff because we was off in another corner of the church working with the kids. And uh, and when he comes forward to pray, the first thing he does is he points me out of the back of the crowd. And he says, I have a word from God for you. And he says, God wants me to tell you that you're going to see financial blessing. And he says, you're going to see the best years, the greatest years of your ministry are ahead of you. And then he said some other things about my personal life, and it's like, wow, this guy is hearing from God. And the next three years, our family income doubled, the best income we had seen in over 30 years of marriage. And, uh, and after two years of that, I went to the Lord in prayer, and I said, Lord, I'm seeing financial blessing. I know this message was from you. But I have seen our ministry winding down. What am I supposed to do that will lead me to the greatest years of my ministry? And after fasting and prayer, I heard this inner voice saying, 
I was to do a study on the end times and write out this study, self-publish it, and put it in the hands of Christians and pastors and Christian leaders. And I went about to do it. Now, uh, there's so much I want to ask you, but how in the world did you get that revelation on the book of Revelations, which is the key to understanding the book of Revelations? Well, you know, I, I ended up writing two books, and I, I kind of almost laughed at the thought that I would ever write one book. Uh, and when I wrote my first book, a friend of my son actually gave the book to his to her grandmother, and, and she said, after reading this book, the Holy Spirit told me that this book is of him, and that I was going to write a second book. And when my son came back and he said, my friend told me that her grandmother said, the Holy Spirit told her, you're going to write a second book. And I was kind of like Abraham and Sarah, and I kind of laughed. You know, there's no way I'm going to write another book. Well, when I wrote the first book, uh, there was a part in my study that I was stumped. And, and that was in reading Revelation, it's like I could see that sections of the book of Revelation were not in chronologic order. And if you read in Revelations chapter 14, you read about the 144,000 that had been sealed to do a special work for God. And in Revelations 14, Jesus is meeting with them on the Mount Zion. And Jesus doesn't come back in chapter 14. He comes back after the Battle of Armageddon when he comes down on the Mount of Olives. So I was really stumped, and I went to the Lord in prayer, and I said, Lord, you're going to have to explain this to me. What is going on that Jesus is meeting with the 144,000 before he's come to the earth, to the Mount of Olives? And I said, Lord, I am going to read the book of Revelation over and over and over until you show me what's going on. And I had time on my hands, and I started reading cover to cover, the book of Revelation, and in the third read, God just opened my eyes and let me see what was happening. And it, uh, Just briefly tell me what this revelation was, because I have, frankly, I have never heard this before. It makes as much sense as anything I've ever heard about in end times. I mean, this is a major revelation, but briefly tell us. Yes, well, in Revelations chapter 10, an angel shows up. It's like, you see, John was translated to the throne of God, and Jesus gave him the book of Revelation. And it's like when, when John came back down to the island of Patmos, probably a cave that he was imprisoned in, uh, he started writing the book of Revelation. And, uh, and when he got to chapter 10, this angel, it's right there, you read it in chapter 10, this angel shows up and says, John, read this little scroll. You must prophesy again about peoples, languages, and nations. And when I saw this, I realized that John was interrupted. He was in the middle of writing about the wrath of God, and this angel gave him four additional chapters that was like an interruption, almost like a, an angelic footnote to what Jesus had gave to John. Well, I put a little bit of a note about this in my book, but then after I wrote my first book, I'm studying the book of Revelation, and all of a sudden I'm reading 
Revelation 17.1, and there it is again. An angel appears to John a second time, gives him another interruption of two and a half chapters, and that's when I realized that these two angels gave John an additional six and a half chapters of Revelation, and he didn't put it in chronologic order. He put it in the book of Revelation at the point he was at as he was writing the book of Revelation. Well, what, what, let me ask you this question. When you put the book of Revelation in chronological order, and let me make something clear, uh, the book of Revelation says you can't add or subtract one word. There's a warning, actually, there. So, but you haven't done that. You've just rearranged it in chronological order. Now, when you've rearranged it in chronological order and you read it that way, what impact did it have on you? What change in your thinking? Uh, did it make more sense? Oh, absolutely. In, in fact, it's like there are so many points of confusion when you read the book of Revelation from cover to cover. Uh, and by the way, every real Christian reads that from cover to cover because there's a blessing there. It says that if you will read this book, you will be blessed. And to be candid with you, when I read it, because it just doesn't make logical sense, I do it because I know I'm going to be blessed because God promises that. But I want to understand it better. Yes. Well, you see, I took these six and a half chapters and I divided it up by topic and, uh, you know what I mean, where it just made sense. This is a completed thought. And there was 10 complete thoughts that came out of those uh, six and a half chapters. And I basically went through the book of Revelation looking for the same subject, keywords, topics, and was literally able to see where each of these 10 portions from the six and a half chapters could be introduced as angelic footnotes to what Jesus gave to John. And when you read it from cover to cover, you know what's really interesting is in the first paragraph of the book of Revelation, it literally says that this revelation of Jesus Christ was also delivered by angels. It's right there in the first paragraph of the book of Revelation. But here's what we have done, and I'm so excited about this. We have put together a special Bible bookmark. I want you to keep it right in your Bible, and it gives you the chronological order of the book of Revelation. I want you to read it for yourself. I want you to think for yourself. And then, in addition to that, we have the two books that God told John to write— uh, the first one is called The Window of the Lord's Return, which is an in-depth study of the mid-trib viewpoint, the mid-tribulation viewpoint. It covers the timing of the rapture in relation to the tribulation. And But, John, you were always a pre-tribber. What happened? Well, you know, when God called me to do this study and to write the book, it's like I had no agenda. I mean, I, was, I, I came to the Lord in a denomination where pre-trib was the only viewpoint that was taught. And, and it, it, you know, it, it was really what I wanted to believe in. But at the same time, 
through my study. See, I was a student of the book of Revelation. I would read the Bible through every year, and I would read the book of Revelation twice every year. And uh, and in, just in my interest in the end times, I always made it a point to put extra time of study into the book of Revelation. And, uh, and even though I believed that the rapture was pre-trib, there were a few key verses that didn't add up. I'll tell you what, uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll pick up right there. As a matter of fact, what I want to do when we come back, if it's okay with you, I want you to point out the seven things that have to happen before the rapture, which caused you to change your viewpoint. But I want to make available his two books. One is called The Window of the Lord's Return, in which he goes in detail as to why he believes in a mid-trib rapture, but even more important than that, why he believes the Lord's return will be before the year 2020. Yes, you heard me right. And he also talks about how America fits into end-time plans, uh, the coming Antichrist. Uh, So we're going to make that available. We're going to make the special Bible uh, bookmark available, uh, which will allow you to understand the book of Revelation. His two books are The Window of the Lord's Return and Unlocking the Mystery of the Book of Revelation. And I'm going to tell you something. If the Lord is returning before the year 2020, that means that there's going to be a lot of stuff going on on planet Earth. And I don't want you to be the tail. I want you to be the head. I don't want you to be caught unaware. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. Our world is rife with comparisons about what separates us. Day after day, we go about our lives with tunnel vision, but Scripture tells us how Messiah broke down the wall between Jew and Gentile, allowing for the creation of one new man, one new humanity. This spiritual completeness is set to usher in the greatest move toward God the world has ever known. Log on to SidRoth.org today and learn how one new man is the key to unlocking God's greatest blessings. Now, John, you made a big shift. I have friends that are pre-tribbers. I have friends that are mid-tribbers. The rapture will occur in the middle of the tribulation. Uh, And then I have people that are post-tribbers, that it'll happen after the tribulation. And people are ferocious in their views on this. What really caused you to change your mind? Because you were raised as uh, the tribulation, the rapture will occur before the tribulation. Well, I I would have to say that as I was studying that God was building a case for a mid-trib rapture, line upon line, and chapter upon chapter. I mean, it's like I did not have an agenda. When I started writing, my initial thought was, if the rapture is pre-trib, God is going to show me from his word, and we're going to put it to bed. It's going to be just done and said in the Word of God, and we're going to know it's pre-trib. And if it isn't, I believe that because God was calling me to do this study and that God would help me, if it's not pre-trib, God will show me from His Word what it is. And that's what happened. Now, do you feel the Holy Spirit directed you to uh, certain books and things to begin to get this understanding? 
absolutely. It was phenomenal how God led and guided me. In fact, you know, after that first year of study, I had about 80 or 90 pages of what eventually became a 250-page book. And and when I thought I was almost done after a year, I actually went back to the Lord in prayer and fasting, and I said, Lord, would you help me with the last 10 or 20 pages so I can complete this assignment that you've given to me? And after I sought God in prayer and fasting, within the next two weeks, God started opening up the book of Revelation beyond what I could ever imagine. In fact, you want me to give you an example of something that God showed me? Yeah. Okay, I listen, within two weeks of asking for God's help, I was reading in Revelation chapter 12, where it talks about the beast coming out of the sea. Now, this beast coming out of the sea is talking about uh, a beast government with ten heads, ten right. horns, you know, ten crowns. And it, then it says, one of the heads of the beast is fatally wounded. Now, what it's saying here is one of the heads, there are a global government, basically prophetic teachers are are agreeing that the Antichrist is going to rule over every nation, and in order for that to happen, the world would be divided into ten regions, and every region would have a regional leader. So that's the ten heads? Yes. Okay. In fact, North America, the, the globalists that are already putting this plan together, have put North, North America as Canada, Mexico, and the United States. That would have one head of the ten regions of the world. So in this verse where it says one of the heads is fatally wounded... Now, wait a second. I've always heard that was the Antichrist. You're saying not necessarily... Exactly. I had always thought that that verse was talking about the leader of the of the one world government right. wounded in the head. But God just opened my eyes and it, I realized what it said. It said one of the heads, well, there's 10 heads and they're not physical heads, they're heads of state. So 10 leaders, 10 heads of state for a global government, 10 regions of the world, when it says one of the heads of the beast is fatally wounded, I realized that one of the 10 leaders will be wounded, but not necessarily in the head. He could be wounded in the chest. It's saying head of state, not wounded in the head. So what this what this really popped into my mind is that if the Antichrist is going to be one of the ten global leaders, then realize in order to be qualified to be the Antichrist, you have to be one of the ten regional leaders. And here's another revelation. If the wounding of this one of ten heads of state reveals the Antichrist, I mean, think about it. If if the global government is in place with 10 heads, and one of those 10 heads is now going to become the leader of the global government, then that means that the global government has to be in place before the Antichrist can be revealed. And you see, my original thinking as a pre-trib believer was that 
the Antichrist would be revealed after the rapture. But when you go and take this Revelation 12 uh, verse where it says one of the heads of the beast is fatally wounded, basically after the global government is put in place, and then when you read in Thessalonians where Paul said, don't let anyone deceive you, the gathering unto him, which the gathering is the rapture, will not happen until there is a great falling away and the man of sin is revealed. Well, if the gathering can't happen until after the Antichrist is revealed, well then, that is saying, when you put it together, the rapture can't happen until there's a global government put in place and can't happen until after the Antichrist rises to power. Now, it doesn't say how much after, but it's basically saying that if there's going to be a global government where every nation on earth is going to give up their independence and their constitution, in America's case, we would give up our freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom and right to bear arms. Uh, we would give up all of these rights. All the nations of the world would give up these rights. Well, this is when it dawned on me that something so catastrophic would have to happen on this planet that nations would willingly give up their independence and join a global solution. And what I realized at that point is, boy, this sounds like we could be heading for a global economic collapse that would literally create a scenario that would be so bad that people starving and anarchy and martial law, that nations would say, I want food for my families. So if there is a global currency and a global government that we could join that will solve all these problems, I'm for it. And the nations will crumble and join this global government. Well, you list seven events. Uh, that uh, are really over the top when people realize it, that have to happen before the rapture. Yes, well, you know, this started coming to me, uh, as I was saying, when, uh, when I realized that the Antichrist can't come to power until the one world government uh, is in place because he's one of the ten heads of the government, of this global government. When I realized that, and it says in Thessalonians that the gathering or the rapture cannot occur until after the Antichrist is revealed, then I realized that, number one, the one world government has to be in place before the rapture can occur. Because Paul said the rapture would happen after the revealing of Antichrist, and he can't show up until he's one of the ten regions of the world. So there's number one. Well, in Thessalonians, it says, don't be deceived. The gathering is not going to happen until there is a great falling away, and the Antichrist is revealed. Well, the great falling away, I believe, is that when the economies of the world collapse and the rapture doesn't happen, because the majority of Christians have been taught that don't have to worry about anything, you don't need to prepare, one of these days real soon, we're out of here. Well, imagine the shock that will happen to the church world 
when the economies of the world collapse, the dollars collapse, food runs out of the stores, there's, no, there's famine and starvation in martial law, and the rapture hasn't happened. I believe that will be such a shock that many people will be bitter at their pastors, they'll be bitter at God, and there will be a great falling away. So that's my number two. And of course, Paul said that there would be two things that would happen. The, the gathering unto him is not going to happen till great falling away, and the Antichrist is revealed. So the revealing of Antichrist is number three. So then we, we continue on, in, in, as I continue in my studies, and when you read Matthew 24, let me tell you, Matthew 24 is literally an outline of events that are going to happen leading up to the rapture. If you go and read Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31, it says, The sun is going to go dark, and the moon will not give its light. And at that time, we will see the sign of the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Well, when you read what's ahead of Matthew 24:29, you literally are reading events that are happening on the earth. And one of the events that you read about in the middle of chapter 24 is the Antichrist desecrating the temple. Well, there has to be a temple before it's desecrated. Exactly. He can't desecrate the temple if the temple hasn't been rebuilt. And if, the, if Jesus coming in the clouds happens after the desecration of the temple, well, then here we are. The temple has to be rebuilt as number four. And then, of course, it says that the Antichrist is going to desecrate it and this event is happening before the rapture that we're literally seeing in Matthew 24, 29 through 31. Uh, so there's number five. And, and let me just read you know, this Matthew 24. It is, it is just an incredible uh, portion of Scripture where it says in verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days. Let me tell you, when... The world is falling apart, and a global government is being formed. There's going to be distress. It says, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. Does that sound like the rapture to you? It sounds exactly <laughs> like the rapture to me. I mean, when you, when you found all of these seven things that had to occur before the rapture, and they haven't occurred yet, uh what what did it did it did it hurt your faith? You've learned this for uh, you know for so many years about the pre-trib rapture. What what effect did it have on you? Did you think maybe you're wrong? Well, you know, before I actually put these seven things together, I I started already seeing the pieces coming together. You know, in fact, one of the things that uh, I started recognizing is that in the Book of Revelation there are seven seals, seven trumpets and seven bowls of God's wrath. And I started seeing the rapture happening in Revelations chapter 7. But I had always been taught that the seven seals from chapter 6 was part of the wrath of God. 
And I had a conversation with a pastor friend, and I was saying, the fifth seal is the martyrdom of the saints. So how can that be the wrath of God? And he told me, he says, well, the first four horses is the wrath of God. And then I'm looking at the first four horses, and the first one I see as the revealing of Antichrist. And I'm, th- I'm saying, that doesn't sound like the wrath of God. So I, I left this men's breakfast where I had this conversation, and I'm driving home, and I'm having a conversation with God, and I'm saying, God, could you tell me why or how I could explain that the seals is not the wrath of God? Because I don't believe we are to go through the wrath of God. And if, and if we're going to go through the seals before the wrath of God starts, I need to know how to explain that the seals is not the wrath of God. So as I was driving down the road and having this conversation, I said, God, can you tell me the difference between the seals and the wrath of God? And the Holy Spirit just downloaded this thought into my mind, and the Holy Spirit said, the difference is the delivery. The wrath of God is delivered by angels, and there are no angels in the seals. Now, I had never heard this before. As soon as I got home, I opened up my Bible, and sure enough, there's not an angel to be found in the opening of the seven seals. But the seven trumpets, there's an angel that delivers every trumpet. The seven bowls of God's wrath, there's an angel that delivers every bowl. When you go into the Old Testament, in Egypt... And in Jerusalem, in times of judgment, you're always seeing angels. And that's when I realized the seven seals is not the wrath of God. We, will, we are not accounted to wrath, as the Bible says. It's almost as if the four horses is the wrath of Satan, not the wrath of God. And the martyrdom of the saints is coming from the enemy of God. It's not part of God's wrath. Uh, John... These two books, which I'm holding in my hand right now, The Lord's Return and Unlocking the Mystery of the Book of Revelation, the unveiling of what was sealed. What type of feedback are you getting from people when they read these books? It's unbelievable. I have had so many letters, it's in the hundreds of people. Tell me me one that comes to mind right now. Well, I have this pastor that wrote me a few months ago. He's a a Southern Baptist minister. He's got a doctor's of theology. And he wrote me, he said, a a previous uh, person who I I had pastored them many years ago, they called me and they said, you've got to read this book. And just out of respect for this uh, former friend, I ordered your book. And he said, I never would have picked this book off a bookshelf. And I read through it, and when I read through it the first time, I said, I have to admit, you stumped me. Even though I didn't want to believe what you were saying, you had me stumped. So I read it a second time with a pen and pad. And he said, after I finished reading the second time, I realized my position for pre-trib for 40 years had been wrong. He since read it through four times, and he says, I have to totally agree. He says, "Your, your book is full of the Word of God, and you can't argue with the Word of God that you have laid out in your book. And this pastor said, I have since taken 12 of your books and given them to pastor friends and one to the vice president of a Bible college, and every one of them came back to me and said, I can't argue with the Scripture, and I can't believe we never saw it. And I hear that comment over and over again. And yet, at the same time, 
I hear people say, I don't want to believe it, and I refuse to read it. Right. Why is it important for people to believe what you have just, the revelation that you have in these two books? Why is it important? Well, you know, in America, we, we as Christians in America have been so sheltered for so many decades and generations that we've been taught that we would never have to face any kind of hard times. And yet Christians around the world, you know, the, the Jews during the Second World War, millions of them, you know, died because they were God's chosen people. And in the Second World War, even millions of Christians died. And in fact, the, the, the Christian church in Europe, before the world, Second World War, they were being taught that the rapture was coming before hard times, and it didn't. And when millions of Christians died in the 40s under Hitler, it devastated the church. And the church in Europe never recovered. And I believe that the enemy is going to use the same game plan on America. The church needs to be warned that even like the disciples, 12, 11 of Jesus' disciples were martyred. Did any of them fall away from God because they had to face hard times? No, they were prepared for it. Mentally, spiritually, they were prepared. And the church in America is not prepared. That's why I believe Paul said there would be a great falling away. And this book is the warning from God that we need to be open to look at the Word of God, because the Bible said... Uh, John, wait a second now. John, those are very serious words. You must be very certain that this revelation from God, based on Scripture, is that important for people to have. Well, you know, this Baptist uh, preacher, he actually sent me a DVD of a Sunday morning where he preached to his church and told them, I have been wrong for 40 years. And he literally made a sign-up sheet for every family in his church to get my book. And they ordered like 150 books. And he came back to me and he said, after all of the people in my church read your book, he says, not one of them could refute it. And they all agreed that this book is correct. And, and you know something else that I think is so amazing in these two books, John? Uh, the first book is The Window of the Lord's Return. The second is Unlocking the Mystery of the Book of Revelation. You actually unlock the mystery of America, the future of America, what's going to happen very shortly in America. In fact, we'll talk a little bit about it when we come back, but I want you to place your order as soon as possible for the two books, The Window of the Lord's Return, and John has this window between now and 2020, and the second book, Unlocking the Mystery of the Book of Revelation, special bookmark we put together. It's a Bible bookmark, which will show you the chronological order of the Book of Revelation, where I tell you for the first time, you yourself will be able to put that message together. You yourself, according to the book of Revelation, will receive a blessing from God. And I can tell you, God himself told me, I am coming back soon. And maybe that's why our ministry is so exploding. A lot of you don't really understand our ministry. Let me tell you what our mission statement is. We have a purpose. Evangelize all people. That's our purpose. And you know what? 
the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. Then we have a method. Our method is to do exactly what the Bible tells us that few Christians are doing. Go to the Jew first. When God wanted to reach the world, who did he go to first? Abraham, the first Jew. When Jesus wanted to reach the world, what did he say? I go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles, wanted to reach the Gentiles, he said in Romans 1.16, I go to the Jew first. Not exclusively, but by going to the Jew first, I have proven that you will reach more Gentiles than by going to the Gentile first. So we have a strategy. The strategy is to equip the church to operate in the supernatural and for us to go to the Jew first. Did you know our television show in Israel, listen to this, we're on 28 times a week, our It's Supernatural television show on secular and religious television, and we're on in four languages, Russian, Arabic, English, and Hebrew. And I mean, on secular TV and religious TV, we are flooding Israel with the gospel. John Shorey, do you have any idea why God would allow us to flood Israel with the gospel at this moment in history? Well, you know, it's God's mission to reach his people, and they're God's special chosen elect. So, um, uh, you know, that's, that, that's the heart of God, to not only reach all the people in every tribe on earth, but especially to bring his people back to himself. But I have to tell you, we in this ministry are walking under such divine favor, and I believe it's because we're going to the Jew first, because there's going to be a Holy Spirit explosion in the Middle East. There'll be natural explosions, but there'll be a Holy Spirit explosion with all of this word going in all of these languages on secular and on religious uh, television 28 times a week. And I might add that if you are looking for a soul-winning ministry that goes to the Jew first, that equips Christians to move in the supernatural, uh, we, we have so many opportunities before us that if you want to partner with us, when you purchase the two books, The Lord's Return and Unlocking the Mystery of the Book of Revelation and the special Bible bookmark with the chronological order of the Book of Revelation— all available for a gift of $35 if you can include something extra so that we can continue to expand, to reach Jews, to equip Christians, to move in the supernatural. And John, you say Mystery Babylon is the United States of America, and we both recognize that Babylon in the Bible is Iraq, but the book of Revelation uh, puts that description, Mystery Babylon. Why? Well, I believe that uh, Mystery Babylon was the term that was used because it was talking about a future superpower as Babylon was a superpower of its day, but I believe it was referring to a future superpower that didn't exist when the Bible was written. And what is interesting, of all the superpowers in the earth today, America is the only superpower that didn't exist when the Bible was written. 
And what's also interesting about America is America is the kind of one of the biggest countries of commerce. And, and this description of Mystery Babylon is describing a country where all the countries of the world are trading with this country and selling and buying their goods, and that is not Iraq. I, I've heard some people say that the day is coming when, when the old Babylon will be brought to such a level of commerce that it will be kind of one of the biggest trading centers in the world. But that would take you know, that would take 100 years. And if you take a look at Iraq, what are they selling? They're selling oil. But this country called Mystery Babylon was selling all manner of goods. And when you understand and you look at it from the standpoint, it's describing a country surrounded by many waters. That's America. Okay. How does America fit into the prophetic future as Mystery Babylon? Well, you know, if you go and take a look at America today, we are the biggest ally of Israel. And Israel, in the last days, is going to be standing alone. Something has to happen that America is not going to come to the rescue of Israel. God is going to come to Israel's aid and, to, and will rescue uh, Israel during the time of the Battle of Gog and Magog and the Battle of Armageddon. So it only makes sense to me that something has to happen to America, that we will no longer be the world cop. We will no longer be the ally to Israel that will come to its aid in the last days. So you're saying America will not be a superpower, almost a third world nation uh, in the future. Yes, that is what I hate to say it, but that's what I believe is going to happen. And in fact, if you go and take a look at what's happening in the world and what's happening in America right now, uh, we are seeing economic chaos building up around the world, and especially in America. And I don't believe that it would take very much to literally topple America from being the number one superpower in the world today. Okay, tell me about the recent revelation you just had. Well, you know, I recently uh, was prompted to study the, uh, the signs of the times, of the end times. And I started searching the scriptures, and it talks about the sun, the moon, and the stars, that there would be signs in the heavens. And, uh, and we've been seeing the blood moons recently, and, and the blood moons are happening this year and next year. And the Bible talks about the land of Israel and the fact that Israel would be rebirthed as a nation and that it would never be destroyed uh, and that the rebirth of Israel would trigger a period of time where it says that this generation shall not pass away to the coming of the Son of Man. So what I did is I, in my study, I went to Matthew 24. Because in Matthew 24, you know, Jesus' disciples met with him, and they wanted to know. They said, tell us, what will, be the, what will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Well, you know, as I have studied Matthew 24, what is very fascinating is that if you study Matthew 24, and then if you study Revelations chapter 6, you literally can see the outline of the 
book of Revelations, chapter 6, where the opening of the seven seals happens in Revelations chapter 6. But Jesus outlined all of these same points. In fact, if you go and take a look at verse 4 of Matthew 24, it talks about a deceiver, an antichrist. And then the next verse, it talks, verse 7, it says, nation will rise against nation. The second seal is wars. And then it says there will be famines. That's the third seal in Revelation 6. And then it says that you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. That's the fifth seal, martyrdom of the saints. And then verse 29, it says immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And if you read Revelation, the sixth seal, it says they opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake, and the sun went dark, and the moon did not give its light. And in Matthew 24, following the sun and the moon going dark, it says, At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And going down, and it says, And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. Matthew 24 is literally covering the outline of the seals of Revelation 6, 40 years before it was revealed to John, all the way to the sun going dark, and in the sixth seal, the sun and the moon go dark. And you see, I have always believed in my study that the opening of the seventh seal, it says they opened the seventh seal, and there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. I have always believed that the seventh seal is the time of the rapture. And the silence in heaven is as the saints arrive and we are bowing before God at the throne, that we are speechless, a holy hush around the throne as literally the promise, the final promise of God is unfolding at the throne of God. And that's in chapter 7 and in verse 7, 9, the elder says, who are these in white robes that are so numerous that you can't even count them? Who are they and where did they come from? And then he says, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. Well, like I say, I see the rapture, the opening of the seventh seal. Well, what's interesting, in Matthew 24, verse 3, Jesus' disciples are meeting Jesus on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And if you have a red-letter edition, you can see Jesus' answer following that question. And Jesus' answer is literally an outline of the events that we read in Revelation chapter 6 all the way up to the sixth seal where the sun goes dark, and that is Rev that's Matthew 24, verse 29. It's like, this is incredible stuff. In fact, in verse 15, part of Jesus' answer to his disciples, he says, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation. Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus says the Antichrist is going to stand in the temple, and he's going to cause the, the abomination of desolation. This was part of Jesus' answer. Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming? They were they was asking Jesus, Jesus, what are we going to see? What are we going to go through before you come for your saints? And Matthew 24 is the answer. So, so what should we be 
uh, doing if if this scenario is as close as you indicate in your books? Well, you know, I believe that when things start falling apart in this country and around the world, I believe that we're going to be entering a period of economic crisis, that that crisis is going to birth a one-world government, a new global currency, and, and a new system that will be the system of the Antichrist. And when things start falling apart, people are going to be looking for answers, just like what happened when the churches filled up on 9-11. When everything starts to crumble, the churches are going to fill up. And I believe that if the saints would have the right spiritual attitude, that a time is coming for a great revival, that we have the answer— Well, you know, I'm an evangelist, and just as we sat down to do this radio broadcast, I got the best news. Our station in Ukraine, uh, this is, it covers the nation of Ukraine. It's a secular station, and a miracle happened. They took us, but they've just added 10 million new subscribed viewers. Do you realize at this moment in history, being able to be in the nation of Ukraine that is loaded with Jewish people and the anti-Semitism is an all-time high, and then in Israel, we're on 28 times a week? You heard me right. Secular as well as Christian television in Hebrew, in Russian, in English. This is God's time to have mercy on Israel. So everyone that gets the two books by John Shorey and the special bookmark on Revelation, so you'll understand the chronological order of the book of Revelation, if you can send anything above the $35 gift, we're pump it into Jewish evangelism at this set time to favor Israel. I can tell you this, Jesus is coming back soon. And what we do, we must do quickly. So any way you can increase your gift when you get these two books, which will be amazing blessing. I mean, uh, you'll understand Revelation clearly for the first time in your life, and you'll understand end times clearly for the first time in your life. It's all been done for you in these two books. It's available for a gift of $35 and anything you can include. I mean, $50, $100, a $1,000, $10,000, a million, whatever. He who wins souls is wise. This is the Shabbat broadcast. I want to pray over you. The Lord has already blessed you. The Lord has already smiled upon you. The Lord has already surrounded you with his favor. The Lord has already gifted you. The Lord has already given you his shalom, his completeness in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. In the name of the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, Yeshua HaMashiach Tzikenu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness.
rife with comparisons about what separates us. Day after day, we go about our lives with tunnel vision, but scripture tells us how Messiah broke down the wall between Jew and Gentile, allowing for the creation of one new man, one new humanity. This spiritual completeness is set to usher in the greatest move toward God the world has ever known. Sid Roth has discovered scripture's key to reaching the Jewish people with God's love. One new humanity opens the door for God to move in signs and wonders, and all will see the evidence of the invisible God promised in Scripture. At SidRoth.org, you'll find mentoring tools to empower you to share how one new humanity is critical to bringing multitudes to know God. You'll understand Israel and the Jewish roots of the church, and how all the nations of the earth will experience blessings unseen in human history. Log on to SidRoth.org today and learn how one new man is the key to unlocking God's greatest blessings. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. 2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org to hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural. Visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.